informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. Lots going on, and we'll cover a lot of ground today. Rich Morrison, analyst with Diversified Services, will join us. We're going to talk markets. He's out in Colorado. We will talk with him today. Uh, Danielle Beck with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association joins us to give us uh, the beef industry's reaction to all the attention and, in some places, very favorable reviews to Uh, plant-based products, uh, the Impossible Burgers and things like that, getting a lot of attention, and we'll see how the beef industry is reacting to that. And then Dan Hallstrom, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, will check in with us from Puerto Rico. There, a product showcase, Latin American product showcase is going on. This is the ninth year for it, and basically this uh, brings prospective buyers from a lot of small and medium-sized markets together in one place. So, say, a U.S. exporter could meet with buyers, uh, kind of one-stop shopping, if you will, a chance to make some very important contacts. And we'll get a report on uh, that event from Dan Hallstrom. He'll call us uh, from Puerto Rico a little bit later on in the program. So, as I said, we have a lot to cover today. We're going to start it off by talking with John Jenkinson. You see him on RFD-TV the market man himself. John, how are you doing? I'm good this morning, Mike. How are you doing? Very good. Haven't talked with you in a while. You, uh, of course, live in Kansas and uh, still very close contact with uh, folks back there. We talked earlier this week with uh, a friend of yours, Justin Gilpin, the CEO of Kansas Wheat Growers, and we got an update on the damage over the weekend from the heavy rains and Hale, what can you tell us? What have you heard from folks around Kansas? Well, when I was home last weekend, Mike, I had the chance to uh, go around and look at some of those some of those fields, and some of the stuff that I saw was uh, really some some beautiful wheat. Um, some of the concerns is you know, there's starting to be some weed pressure start to come up through the wheat now uh, that the wheat has ripened, the sunshine can get to the ground. And some of that weed seed there underneath with all the moisture has sprouted. And some of those weeds had come up in some of that wheat. But probably the most devastating was back to the same thing that you and Justin had been talking about, and that was the hail. I know that just 10 miles south of where I live, where our farm is, uh, there was a hailstorm that went through that had tennis ball size hail. And one of the fields that I continually drive by looked like it could have been 70, 80 bushels of the acre wheat was just mowed off. It just looked like you went out there with a push mower and mowed it off, and it was uh, not much higher than uh, than ankle high, and there was just nothing left. And, of course, you know, that's devastating for that particular producer, and it's also uh, devastating for a lot of the row crop in and around there, too. I know that I talked to Gary Millershasky, who is, uh, uh, you know, on the uh, board of the National Association of Wheat Growers, talked to him last night, and he's doing test cutting today, and they think that they can really run they're starting to have some warm temperatures in that part of the world there. For the longest time, uh, things were cool and wet and above normal precipitation. In fact, for the month of uh, May, a lot of the areas got half of their annual precipitation just in one month. But uh, it has turned off hot and dry. It was 90-some degrees there yesterday with a lot of wind and dried the wheat down. And um, I suspect there will be a lot of cutting taking place 
uh, all the way from the Oklahoma border in Kansas all the way north to possibly Highway 83 and maybe even some or uh, Highway 50, I'm sorry, and and maybe even points north, further north along Highway 83 up near I-70. Yeah, just such a unusual year. So many times over the years, you and I have talked about how dry it is in Kansas. This year, that was not the case, and, and it <laughs> makes it really tough uh, for those who got hit by the severe weather because, as you said, uh, it looked like it was going to be a really good crop for them. Absolutely. And, and that's one that you bring up a good point. Uh, and I've heard this a lot from a lot of producers in Kansas. We all hate to complain too much about rain because our annual rainfall, particularly in the western uh, 25, 30 percent of the state, is only you know, 16, 17 inches a year. And so we hate to complain about moisture. We certainly have had our share this year. And uh, there's going to be areas, it, there's, uh, there's areas where the wheat was drilled early and it looked fantastic. There was areas that the wheat went in a little bit late after some of the big rains, maybe didn't have as good a stand. There will be a lot of variables this year, but all in all, there will be a lot of straw. How do your row crops look in Kansas? Row crops are behind uh, in many, many areas. In fact, in, in my part of the world, there's a lot of folks saying they're about three to four weeks behind where they really should be. With this warm, dry weather now that we're seeing and all of the moisture, that'll catch up pretty quick. But when I left home last weekend, there was some corn that was still only about, uh, oh, about as high as your calf. There was some that was almost to our knees. But, you know, we, um, we usually have corn uh, at least five, six foot tall by now. So the, the row crops are behind. A lot of the sorghum has not gotten planted yet that usually will get planted. Uh, so that, that planting is a little bit behind. Soybeans were behind as well, but uh, what little acres we do grow of soybeans. But I know that I'm starting to hear interesting uh, accounts of where elevators, uh, grain merchandisers, are stepping up to the plate and increasing some of their basis to attract a little bit of wheat uh, for, for possibly feed later on just because the corn is so far behind where, uh, you know, a lot of times in that area, a lot of these feedlots will use wet corn or high-moisture corn for some of their feeding uh, rations. And this year it looks like uh, some, of these, some of these areas may be stepping up here a little bit to, to maybe uh, position themselves to buy a little wheat for feed. We're talking with John Jenkinson with RFD-TV. Home for him is Kansas, but he spends a lot of time in Nashville, the studios for RFD-TV, so a lot of travel time. John, you just mentioned one example. This is just going to be an unusual year all the way through, isn't it? It is, and it's going to be, uh, it is really going to have its challenges because anytime you put a crop in when it's so wet, uh, you get the areas there where there's compaction. That causes issues. Uh, I uh, was talking to another producer on uh, Sunday who said that, you know, he was going to go out and try to test cut, but the ground underneath was so wet. Anytime you cut ruts in our part of the world, uh, those ruts are hard to to recover from, and uh, the combines were, you know, they go in, pull in a little bit, then back out, leave a lot of tracks. That's going to be a problem. So it is going to be a, a, a very challenging year in many aspects. The weed pressure is going to be a challenge, uh, some of the disease pressure. And, uh, you know, some of these feedlots are still trying to dry out and kind of kind of get things organized so that uh, the gains can come back to some of these cattle because some, the, some of the gains have been a little bit on the weak side and some of the weights have been down just a little bit just because those cattle are stomping around in so much mud. 
Yep, lots of challenges for sure. Good to talk with you again, John. Take care. We'll see you on TV. All right, Mike. Thanks a lot. Hope you have a great day, and we hope everybody out there has a great season. All right, take care, John. John Jenkinson with RFD TV. See him doing markets on on there and uh, covering a lot of the ag issues. Well, Rich Morrison, analyst with Diversified Services, is on the road. He's out in uh, eastern Colorado, western Kansas. We'll check in with him, see what uh, he's seeing in his travels, and talk some markets. That's coming up next here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA. Go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Hi, I'm George Foreman. Do you have an idea for a new product or invention? People ask me all the time, George, how do I get my idea in front of companies? How do I get a patent? What do I do next? Do you have the same questions? I'll tell you like I'll tell them all. Call my friends at InventHelp. To get your free inventor's information, call 1-800-352-0432. That's 1-800-352-0432. I believe every inventor deserves the opportunity to step into the ring and take their best shot. Put InventHelp in your corner. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, prevent plant acres have dominated conversation this year. So many questions around them, some tough decisions have had to be made, and uh, there's still tough decisions and questions out there. Let's talk about it with University of Illinois ag economist Scott Irwin. Scott, it seems like uh, the further along this year we go, the more questions we have on, on some of these planting decisions and what can be done with some of these acres and how to take care of them and what are the options. Well, we really are into uncharted territory, Mike, as far as the magnitude of prevent planting. You know, at this time of year, uh, our crop production specialists are usually talking about, you know, how to manage the growing crop, uh, not what to do with prevent plant acres. As I understand it, you can uh, actually plant corn or soybeans as a cover crop, uh, so long as you don't harvest it for grain. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private health care is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready. And health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612.
Soybean growers are going all in on Ingenia herbicide. Now BASF is going all in on Ingenia growers. We're so confident in the performance of this solution, we're now backing it with the Ingenia herbicide weed control guarantee so you can have true peace of mind. And you can tap into our expanded Grow Smart Rewards program and get cash back. Go all in today at IngeniaHerbicide.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, joining us now, Rich Morrison, analyst with Diversified Services. He's out in eastern Colorado, western Kansas. Rich, thanks for being with us. How do things look out there? Uh, I would imagine, I don't get out this way every year, but I would imagine it's about as green as it could possibly be in this part of the world. Uh, I've seen a lot of places where the wheat's uh, been drowned out with some, some excessive rain, and I haven't seen a pivot run yet. So that's uh, pretty strange, I think, for going into the 1st of July. What are producers saying out there? I haven't talked to any producers out here. We're actually traveling this week out this part yeah. of the world. So, uh, but it, uh, I, I can tell that certainly wheat harvest is well behind normal, and uh, I think that's maybe what's driving the market here a little bit right now. I'm sure we could probably figure out what they're saying, like producers everywhere, and that is concerns about the crop and wondering what's going on with the markets. Uh, What are your thoughts? We're heading into more numbers from USDA tomorrow. Uh, What do you think of those numbers as far as will they uh, be market movers or not? Well, the ones we always look at are the kind of the glamour numbers, I guess, are always the acreage numbers. Uh, but the one that usually ends up moving the market is usually the stocks uh, numbers. So uh, I guess those are what we'll be looking at the hardest and uh, kind of see what last quarter usage was, uh, particularly in corn. Uh, I, I think a lot of the traders are expecting a corn number very similar to a year ago at this time. Uh, of course, carryover is estimated to be pretty similar as well. But uh, I, I think this corn usage number is probably going to be the, the one that could potentially move the market the most. Uh, beans. We're going to get a record number. Uh, it's just a question of how big is that stock number going to be. Uh, but uh, we're we're looking at uncharted waters there as far as soybeans go. What are you expecting tomorrow? Uh, expecting a kind of the same as the trade. I think corn uh, acre or corn stocks probably in the uh, very similar to a year ago at this time. But this bean number probably around one eight to one point nine billion bushels of beans on hand as of June one and. And, uh, you know, I think that that's, uh, you got a couple different things going here with beans. The beans have been kind of piled up, I guess, if you will, because of the river closures. Uh, that hasn't helped us because of the China lack of trade. Uh, it's just kind of a reinforcement that we really don't have a bull story in the bean market. Uh, I think we just get that, you know, kind of stuck in our face every month with USDA reports uh, telling us uh, how many beans we've got. The corn situation is kind of interesting that uh, the eastern corn belt has been pretty aggressive on basis over the last uh, three to four weeks and I, I think that kind of comes from the lack of planning progress in that part of the world and a lot of the uh, end users needing get security that they're going to have some corn going into next fall and so it's uh, this corn thing's going to be really interesting see where the corn's at uh, as of June 1st and 
and uh, just I think a lot of numbers to dissect through that report. How bullish are you on on this corn market moving through the summer? Well, I don't think we'll get a full representation of acres uh, in tomorrow's report. Uh, the, the surveys were done as of early, early June, so I, I know we intended to plant a lot of corn acres on June the 1st, June the 5th, June the 10th that probably didn't get planted, uh, and so that won't show up tomorrow. Uh, and once that acreage port's out of the way, then we'll kind of look ahead to uh, probably to August before we ever get any updated acreage numbers. So. It may take a little while to uh, to plug in some of these, uh, you know, lower numbers. And, and then the next question is yield. What are we going to look at? I, I think the weather forecast short term looks pretty good for corn. I think we're getting some heat finally to parts of the of the Midwest uh, that needed it badly uh, to try to get this corn to grow. So wouldn't be a shock to see the crop ratings improve a little bit next Monday. Uh, so short term, it, you know, maybe there's not a lot of upside in corn unless we get a lower stocks number. Uh, but I, I still think we've got a developing story here as we move through the summer. But tougher on beans. Uh, how do we get a bullish scenario on beans? Uh, probably see some sort of a trade agreement coming out of Japan this weekend uh, when the two presidents, uh, U.S. and China, meet uh, this weekend. Aside from that, I, I don't know that you know that we're going to get too big of a bullish uh, response to the report tomorrow. Uh, maybe it comes from a, uh, a lower acreage number, but I, I can't understand where that would come from because the surveys, if they were done in early June, everybody was intended to get every acre planted at that time. So maybe we lose some acres in the, in the eastern belt, uh, whereas a month ago we were talking more corn ac- or more bean acres. Maybe when it's all said and done, we end up dropping a few bean acres, and that's still hard. to We, we could afford to drop a few bean acres and still be good on the, on the Sox number. So it, it's just hard to hard to paint a bullish picture there yeah acres not planted and reduced yield on acres that are planted and still it's hard to get a bullish scenario for beans yeah i mean you can do pencil numbers and and get yourself down to 800 million bushel carry out which is still an absolutely huge huge number historically so uh yeah it's just really really difficult we would have to have a substantial loss in yield i think uh, in order to start talking friendly to the beet market those trade deals, if we get some positive news this week or soon, um, you know, that takes a while to actually translate into uh, ships moving across the water and, and delivering uh, commodities. Uh, but, but what kind of psychological boost would that be for the markets? Oh, I think it going into this, uh, you know, this hot time of the summer and, you know, moving into July, June typically is our better marketing month. But this year with everything being delayed, maybe that pushes into July. So you're you're kind of moving into a volatility time of year with weather. And then if you throw in this, uh, uh, you know, some sort of a trade deal, I, I think it might bring some of this uh, investment fund money back into the bean market, at least short term. So that might be giving us the, the type of a boost we would need to get some, uh, be able to do some more marketing. We're talking with Rich Morris, an analyst with Diversified Services. Rich, uh, your outlook for the wheat market. A little bit friendly here short-term. The charts have turned a little friendly. Uh, I think there's some legitimate concern uh, as far as the harvest goes. Uh, I know I haven't traveled everywhere, but I I see not only are we delaying harvest, but it looks like we probably, you know, we got a few acres here and there that are maybe not going to get harvested. We're going to have either suffer some yield losses or maybe suffer a few acreage uh, drops. So, 
again, it's kind of like soybeans. While we've got plenty of wheat, uh, we you know it's it's at least painting a little friendlier picture uh, than maybe for the market at least than what we had been looking at before. So uh, it'd be awful different to rally wheat unseasonally through harvest, but uh, uh, but if corn market has some upside, I think the wheat market could have some upside as well. Let's uh, switch to livestock. What do you see with the pork and beef markets? Well, the hog markets uh, sure had a tough time lately and, and just not finding any friends. I think we had rallied uh, uh, the hogs a month ago uh, with hope that we were going to get into this. You know, we were going to get China really stepping up and buying some U.S. pork. We saw that on a small basis, but not on a big enough basis to keep the market sustained. Thought maybe this Canadian announcement or the announcement yesterday from China that they were going to stop imports of Canadian meat might bring some uh, interest back to the U.S. hog market. So we'll, we'll see. Maybe some sort of a trade uh, agreement uh, might include that. So that's kind of what I would be hoping for, at least in the hogs. Uh, the cattle market uh, had a good run over the last uh, couple of days or so, and uh, especially the feeder markets. So I think that's probably been driven a little bit by the cheaper corn price this week. But uh, not sure where we go here in cattle going forward. But a lot of this, I think, depends on, on China and, and any kind of an agreement there. Yeah, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of wait and see. What happens with the weather the rest of the way? What happens with these trade talks? It's kind of where we've been for a long time, wait and see. <laughs> uh, we've been saying that for a few weeks now, but, I, yeah, I think that's it. You know, we've got a lot of potential market movers here. It uh, just depends how they pan out. Yeah, and but it's always interesting to see how markets react to these things. And we a lot of times we think they ought to react one way and they and they react a different way. It is, and, and, you know, when we're trading futures markets, uh, it is exactly that. They're trading, you know, traders are trading what they think things ought to be worth in the future, and so they're, they're guessing, they're, uh, they're taking a position, and, and uh, if they're wrong, then, then you see some, sometimes some violent moves, and so that uh, can give us some opportunities. Could be a wild summer. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, the, we talked about timing a little bit ago, and June historically has been our month for the corn market especially, and you could probably push those dates back a month this year because of the timing of the crop. So I would think the month of July, you got the fourth coming up here next week. I, I would think the month of July we could see a lot of volatility still remaining in this market. Yeah, we may have fireworks throughout the month, not just next week on the 4th <laughs> of July. All right. Thanks, Rich. Safe travels to you. You bet. Thank you. Rich Morris, an analyst with Diversified Services. All right, coming up next, Danielle Beck with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. We'll get beef industry reaction to all the publicity and attention around these plant-based products. That's coming up next. Stay with us here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our technical skills. Our math our engineering skills. You're going to need our help with your water, your air, 
your food. You're going to need our organizational skills, our problem-solving skills. You're going to need our determination, our honesty, our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise we'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Corn and soybeans both recorded small upticks in trading overnight. We could look for another day of lackluster trading as traders wait for the results of USDA's reports tomorrow. They come out at noon Eastern, 11 Central Time. The quarterly grain stocks number, soybean stockpiles, and also soybean planted acreage. Export sales of wheat came in at the high side of trader expectations this week, totaling 612,000 metric tons. That heat wave in Europe is expected to end by the weekend. Rains expected to cool down the area, but three to four days of extreme heat taking likely a little of the top-end yield off of wheat in Europe, but big yields still expected. An hour into the trading day, we've taken off the top end of the rally in Chicago wheat, July up only a quarter of a cent at 5.44. Kansas City wheat July down a penny and a half at 4.67 and a half after early advances. Minneapolis spring wheat July a penny higher at 5.51 and a quarter. In corn, new crop December down a half at 4.54. November new crop soybeans down a penny at 9.17 and a quarter. Livestock at the Merck and live cattle futures. The August contracts up a nickel at 105.45. Feeder cattle August up 37 at 136.20. Some light cash cattle trade noted in the north yesterday at 180 dress, but according to the wire talk, not really enough to establish a trend. Initial token bids the first half of this week seen around 175. Lean hog futures, August contract, 20 cents higher at 75.67. Outside markets on Wall Street, the Dow down 13, S&P up 11. August crude oil in New York up six cents. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything. Editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Soybean growers are going all in on Ingenia herbicide. Now BASF is going all in on Ingenia growers. We're so confident in the performance of this solution, we're now backing it with the Ingenia herbicide weed control guarantee so you can have true peace of mind. 
And you can tap into our expanded Grow Smart Rewards program and get cash back. Go all in today at IngeniaHerbicide.com. Grow Smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Welcome back. couple of updates on trade. Politico and the South China Morning Post reporting that the U.S. and China have tentatively agreed to avert that next round of tariffs that President Trump had threatened to put on $300 billion in Chinese goods. That uh, potential truce would... Uh, obviously be considered a positive heading into the meeting between President Trump and Chinese President Xi on Saturday at the G20 summit in Japan. Also, U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer uh, made a visit uh, yesterday to talk with uh, some members of Congress, some House Democrats, before he left for the G20 meeting. And uh, the chief negotiator for uh, the Trump administration said some Democrats who had spoken out about against NAFTA or voiced some concerns about NAFTA. He said they uh, are feeling more optimistic about resolving their concerns with the New Deal. But, uh, again, they've been very public with their concerns, and some saying that they don't see a deal uh, being voted on or approved this summer. It might be after the August recess, but we'll wait and see on that. And to the topic at hand now, some of these plant-based products that are getting a lot of attention. In fact, Secretary Purdue scheduled to visit Impossible Foods this afternoon in California. That plant-based meat maker has uh, seen a lot of demand recently for its Impossible Burger in, in national restaurant chains. I want to talk about that with Danielle Beck, Director of Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Danielle, what is the beef industry's reaction to uh, these new products and uh, in many quarters, very favorable reviews so far. Uh, you know, Mike, at the end of the day, we know that consumers love beef. It's a safe, it's affordable, it's a nutritious protein. There's a lot of uh, consumer interest relative to some of these fake meat products. There's certainly a lot of coverage in the liberal media. But at the end of the day, I think we're confident that this is a passing fad. And even if it's not, our products can compete for the center of the, fa- the, center of the plate because we know that at the end of the day, we're going to win. So I've I've not tried them, but I've had I've talked with someone who did, and they and they're they're traditional uh, real meat eaters, but yet they said you know that product was surprisingly better than they thought it would be. It tastes more like regular you know real meat than they thought it would. If they come up with something that tastes very similar and appeals to uh, whatever environmental concerns some group may have, how concerned are you about losing market share to these products? You know, we're not concerned because at the end of the day, the alternative meat market is 1% of the total meat market. You know, protected or projected consumption in 2019 was just a few ounces per capita for fake meat products, whereas 2019 annual projected beef consumption was more than 58 pounds per capita. And that's the fourth straight year consumption has increased for real beef products. Uh, you know, I've had the Impossible Burger myself. I had it a year ago. It's been reformulated since then. Uh, but you can put enough ketchup, mustard, pickles, you know, mayo, lettuce, onions on a product, and it's going to seem burger-like. Uh, when you look at the, the nutrition label and the ingredient label, that's where I think we, we win, and that's where we're strong, strongest, because nutritionally, 
we're a better product. Real beef is better for consumers. And at the end of the day, consumers look at these, you know, if they're looking at a product that has 24 to 28 ingredients or ground beef that has one ingredient, uh, I think the, the choice is pretty simple. I wonder, some people, whether they look at that part of it or they're looking at uh, other things like they think they're saving the planet or some something like that, um, but you think that would be a small enough sector in the population that it really wouldn't uh, impact that much uh, traditional beef sales? Uh, yeah, absolutely not. I mean, in 2018, uh, $31 billion worth of beef was sold through food service outlets, whereas $99 million of beef substitutes. Uh, I mean, it's, you're comparing apples to oranges. We've got a billions-of-dollar marketplace here for beef, whereas it's, you know, $99 million for these fake meat products. And if you look at Beyond Meat, sure, there's been a lot of attention in the media, uh, particularly around the, you know, company going public. Uh, but in 2018, their first nine months, they uh, posted a net loss of $22.4 million. I mean, the company has posted revenue losses each year since, uh, you know, being founded. I, I don't know that they're really, uh, their business model is going to be sustainable in the long term. And what is the price comparison between their product and a real meat, traditional meat? You know, it depends on which retail outlet you're looking at, but at the end of the day, it's still more expensive. And that'll be a bottom line uh, decision maker for a lot of people right there. Absolutely. Uh, people... People decide with their pocketbooks, um, but they also decide based on taste. Um, you know, if you want to have a burger that's plant-based, again, you need to cover it with every condiment under the sun in order to get close to tasting like real beef. They're not making muscle-cut steaks uh, or plant-based steaks, if you will. Uh, and when consumers want a delicious uh, piece of beef, they don't need to cover it with ketchup or pickles or mustard. Um, they can just have that protein on the plate with a couple sides, and it's a nice meal for them. We're talking with Danielle Beck with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Danielle, are you concerned about consumer confusion? And uh, they may think they're eating uh, traditional meat, and they're actually not. I mean, could we get to that point? You know, I don't know that consumers are walking into a grocery store picking up, uh, you know, an imitation product and thinking that they're buying real beef. I think they are confused, though, because they pick up these products and they think that they're doing something good for the environment. Um, they're making a, a choice that is, quote-unquote, healthier, um, whether it be nutritionally or, you know, sort of holistically for the, the global economy and the environment. Um, but that's, you know, at the end of the day, simply not true. Uh, we know that livestock is just a, a very small portion of, you know, GHG emissions. Uh, our producers are not only good stewards of their herds, but they're environmentalists and conservationists as well. Uh, and we know that, you know, beef's footprint really has a lot of positive contributions for the environment. Which is a message that uh, the beef industry is trying to get out, and, and that's something that will need to be done even more in the future. Absolutely. And I think our biggest challenge is finding out how to break through to a lot of these consumers who are, you know, multiple generations removed from the farm that live in, you know, urban areas, urban millennials, I think, are the perfect sort of target demographic where they really don't understand about livestock production. And so they don't know um, all of the benefits that, you know, our producers bring uh, to the table. But educating them, it's a really one that really resonates once uh, we're able to break through with those, you know, niche subsets of consumers. A topic that you and I have talked about over the past year is about oversight uh, of these products and how that would be handled. What's the latest on that? 
So lab-grown fake meat products are going to be jointly regulated by the U.S. Department of Agriculture and the Food and Drug Administration. Uh, They announced this joint framework agreement in October. Uh, They published additional details on that in March of this year. Uh, We're still waiting to see more details, though. I think both agencies have a lot of work that needs to be done before lab-grown products can come to the market. Uh, Plant-based fake meat products still fall under the Food and Drug Administration's jurisdiction, though. And so ultimately, it's going to be up to FDA to decide to take enforcement action if they feel that any labeling or corresponding advertising uh, is misleading or, you know, legally misbranded. You know, I've said this before, but I find this to be fascinating uh, to see how this plays out because we have so many critics of biotechnology and food production, you know, that are just so sure, even though they don't know what GMOs are, they're just sure that they're, they don't like them, don't want them, they're afraid of them or whatever. Uh, And there seems to be that feeling out there of resistance to uh, uh, a technology when it comes to developing a food product. But yet now we have uh, the media and, and a lot of people falling all over this type of a product. You're right, but also for every one company that announces that they're going to be, uh, you know, products in stores, uh, there are companies and retail outlets out there that have said, you know, not just no, but hell no. Arby's being one of the most vocal, uh, ardent uh, supporters of real meats uh, and their insistence that they're not going to have fake meat on the menu. Which is a good point. Uh, what can be looked upon as a challenge also is an opportunity, right? Yeah. Well, and, you know, even the companies that are now offering some of these, um, you know, vegan or vegetarian alternatives, uh, you know, they open up the doors to families, you know, who may have a teenage daughter who just decided to be vegan, um, you know, it's a passing fad in their family, but they're still going to be able to go to Burger King uh, with the rest of the family and have a meal together. And while their one daughter might be picking the impossible burger option, uh, the rest of the family, their big choice is going to be between real chicken and real beef. Uh, And we know at the end of the day, our real competitor, and that's, you know, real animal proteins and it's chicken. So you've got, uh, you've got another player in the marketplace, but I think it gets back to how strongly you feel about your product. I, I get so tired of uh, people advertising their products based on uh, trying to put down somebody else's. I think this is a case where beef, you've got the attributes, you've got the history, you've got the, the good news to tell. Just uh, tell your story, right? And uh, uh, I think uh, that will appeal to a, a lot, a lot of people if you do it that way. Yeah, absolutely. You know, our products, we're, we can coexist peacefully with any other, you know, protein out there, be it plant-based, lab-grown, or, you know, another animal protein. Uh, and you don't see us going out and disparaging chicken products, pork products, uh, because at the end of the day, our producers, uh, they work hard to produce this safe, affordable, nutritious protein, and they respect other producers who work hard to produce the same types of pro- products out there. And I think our biggest frustration or our producers' biggest frustration is seeing some of these CEOs uh, you know, coming out and really uh, saying very disparaging uh, comments about traditional animal agriculture. Pat Brown, you know, the CEO of Impossible Foods, he's saying animal ag is finally being recognized for what it is, a destructive and non- unnecessary technology. But, you know, I'd like to challenge Pat Brown to come out to one of our farms and really learn about what it means to be a, a real beef producer, because I think that uh, he'd be very interested and enlightened uh, in doing so. All right, Danielle, thank you very much. Good to talk with you. Thanks, Mike. Danielle Beck, Director of Government Affairs, National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. 
Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction. Plus, the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs running or not. Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help, and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early like they did with my mom. Donate today, 800-745-3327. 800 745 3327 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. Head to toe, everything's changed. Head to toe. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, right now I want to talk about beef trade. Joining us is Kent Backus, Senior Director of International Trade for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Kent, thanks for joining us. Uh, bring us up to date on where we're at with the European Union. Now, they're going, to, they're going to accept more U.S. beef, right? But what are the details on this? Well, Mike, that's the, that's the big question is, uh, yes, we've seen the plans and we've seen this announcement come out, but this is not implemented, and I think that's important for everyone to remember that we can't uh, start popping champagne bottles just yet because the good news is is that the, the Europeans have agreed to a, a U.S.-specific quota of 35,000 metric tons. But the concern is whether it will actually be implemented and when. So we're very supportive of this step forward. We think it's a, a, it's a nice step forward. It's certainly welcome news, but we can't celebrate just yet. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our technical skills. Our math. Our engineering skills. You're going to need our help with your water. Your air. Your food. You're going to need our organizational skills. Our problem-solving skills. You're going to need our determination. Our honesty. Our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise we'll be there when you need us. 
Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Clean. Wash hands and utensils to avoid spreading bacteria when preparing food. Separate. Use different cutting boards for meat, poultry, seafood, and veggies. Cook. You can't tell it's done by how it looks. Always use a food thermometer. Chill. Keep the fridge at 40 degrees or below to keep bacteria from growing. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. The U.S. Meat Export Federation Latin American Product Showcase is being held this year in San Juan, Puerto Rico for the first time. And joining us from that event is the President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, Dan Hallstrom. Dan, thanks for joining us. This is an event that has grown uh, in, what, nine years now since you've had it, uh, now up to uh, uh, several exporting companies and a lot of prospective buyers. Uh, kind of give us an idea of what's going on there. Yeah, thank you, Mike, and good morning. Uh, pleasure being here. Yeah, this is our ninth year, um, and, and it's grown remarkably. Um, at the showcase uh, with me now, we've got uh, about 400 people. We have 65 of our exporting companies are here, and uh, we have buyers, uh, about uh, over 175 buyers from 23 different countries uh, in Central America, South America, and the Caribbean region. And, you know, just, just to give you kind of a, an idea uh, of some of the larger countries that are here, Colombia, Argentina, Panama, Guatemala, Barbados, Chile, uh, Peru, just to name a few. And uh, it's really an exciting event because in two days, uh, our membership can meet uh, these 175-plus buyers. And if you were to travel around all these different countries uh, as exporting companies, uh, it would take you a month or more. So it's just uh, it's a real pleasure to have everyone here in a two-day event. How much business gets done at an event like this, or does this just more or less lay the groundwork for business? I think, Mike, it does both. Um, there is a lot of business. We're in day two, the start of day two right now. Yesterday was our first day, and, and there was quite a bit of business written on beef, pork, and lamb uh, yesterday, just walking and talking to people. And... Uh, and I'm sure there'll be more written today, but but really, I think the real benefit is laying the ground groundwork for uh, future business, um, increased business with existing contacts, and and we always strategically bring in new buyers as well to these. Even though it's our ninth year of doing it, every year we're bringing new buyers as well to these events. So undoubtedly, this is laying the groundwork for future business as well. 
What are some of the issues that are dealt with uh, when you bring these folks together? Or what what types of things uh, have to be worked out to get some deals done? Well, I think um, as USMEF, one of our big roles is uh, education. It's telling our story, telling the story of, of uh, production agriculture, uh, all the way back to the grain side of things as inputs for livestock feed and and then, of course, uh, we focus on the meat quality and, and, and the attributes of U.S. beef, pork, and lamb. Um, and, and a lot of competition is out there. But as we all know, with our high-quality grain-fed, uh, grain-fed products, our, our, our beef and our pork and, and most definitely our lamb are different than most of the global competitors. So we spend a lot of time telling our story. A lot of time uh, we have a lot of tastings going on here uh, a lot of our members bring in products so that, you know, a lot of times sealing the deal is, is tasting. And uh, and we just have a lot of uh, interaction on that level. And, then of course, the real way that business gets done is uh, we put the buyers and sellers together in a room here, so to speak. And uh, we have a lot of face time uh, where, where business can be done and relationships built. So that's really the ground uh, the, the, the groundwork that we do. Yeah, and relationships are critical in, in doing these uh, uh, deals uh, internationally and kind of one-stop shopping then, isn't it, Dan? It really is. It really is. And, you know, Mike, the other thing that we're doing is a lot of these regions uh, or countries within these regions that I mentioned, uh, especially if you look at Central America and South America, these are, these are destinations for our product that, that 10 years ago really we really didn't have any of it developed yet. And what we're seeing is we're seeing demand grow because why would demand grow? Well, number one, we're starting to see uh, middle class grow, more spending power in a lot of these countries. And as, as you know, as we get more spending power in any country, their demand for high, higher quality food grows. And uh, whereas maybe they were, they were relying more on, on you know, uh, poultry or even just rice and things like this, they're wanting to diversify their portfolio of protein, and, and that's where we come in with the opportunity to look at beef, pork, uh, and, of course, lamb. So, uh, yeah, we're really excited. This showcase, uh, it, like I said earlier in our ninth year, has been probably one of the most successful things that we do as an organization. We're talking with Dan Hallstrom, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. He joins us from San Juan, Puerto Rico and the USMEF Latin American Product Showcase. Real quick, Dan, before I let you go, what are you hearing in another part of the world in the African swine fever situation? Well, that's a big topic here, of course, too. Um, you know, we're, we're hearing, uh, you know, that there's still uh, new cases. Uh, you know, we have, we have uh, North Korea, we have Cambodia, we have Laos that all have recently uh, uh, announced that they've had cases. So it continues to spread uh unfortunately and, and hopefully we can get that to slow down but uh uh it is starting to disrupt trade to some extent uh everyone's of course looking at china what what will be the impact in china and how will the world respond and uh um it's going to be interesting to watch uh, we know for sure on the on the live side that, that hogs are being liquidated in china and other places like vietnam and uh and, of course, longer term, that will spell probably a shortage of, uh, of meat protein at some point. The question is when. But, obviously, uh, from the U.S. perspective, um, the other thing we're focused on as an industry is doing everything we can from a biosecurity standpoint 
you know, the pork producers and, and other organizations, uh, NAMI, USMEF, we're all very, very focused on doing everything we can to assure that it never gets into North America. So, yeah, it's going to be uh, interesting to watch, to say the least. Well, Dan, thanks for being with us and giving us a report from uh, the showcase, and uh, glad to hear things are going well there in Puerto Rico, uh, bringing the um, the exporting companies and the prospective buyers together. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, joining us from the 9th U.S. Meat Export Federation Latin American Product Showcase, this year being held in Puerto Rico. With that, we wrap it up for today. Thank you for joining us. Hope you'll be with us again tomorrow right here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Want to reduce your risk of heart disease, diabetes, and stroke? Simple. Eat right. This is registered dietitian nutritionist Melissa Dobbins. A healthy diet can mean a healthier you. So eat a variety of proteins each week. Seafood, lean meat, poultry, beans, and nuts. Fill half your plate with fruits and vegetables at every meal. Choose foods that are lower in calories, fat, and sodium. Limit your alcohol and maintain a healthy weight. Let a registered dietitian nutritionist help you achieve your goals. Find one near you at eatright.org. Hi, I'm George Foreman. Do you have an idea for a new product or invention? People ask me all the time, George, how do I get my idea in front of companies? How do I get a patent? What do I do next? Do you have the same questions? I'll tell you like I'll tell them all. Call my friends at InventHelp. To get your free inventor's information, call 1-800-352-0432. That's 1-800-352-0432. I believe every inventor deserves the opportunity to step into the ring and take their best shot. Put InventHelp in your corner. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Sure, you're okay to drive. Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council.